0: The Pro Tools Expert Podcast with James Ivey, Julian Rogers and Dan Cooper. Welcome to the Pro Tools Expert Podcast number 319. It's the 14th of May 2018. I'm Dan Cooper.
1: I'm James Ivey. And I'm Julian Rogers. Uh, Julian, Dills. Save 20% on the brand new Butte loudness suite by Signum Audio, making it £199 X-Taxis for the surround version or £159 X-Taxis for the stereo version instead of 250 and £200 respectively. Don't miss your opportunity to get this brand new loudness analysis and normalisation suite at a 20% discount. Also, check out Alan's review on the site. You can also check out
0: the rest of the deals from our partners in the partner deal section of the deals page. Okay, let's move across to some talking points, and these are sponsored by our friends at Universal Audio.
2: Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Radio. Do your vocal recordings need more shine? Are you in the market for a new audio interface? Well, if the answer to these questions is yes, now could be a very good time to buy a Universal Audio Apollo Twin as part of UA's new Apollo Twin Platinum Vocal Promotion. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II solo and get Antares Auto-Tune real-time for free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Duo or USB and get Antares Auto-Tune and the manly Voxbox plugins free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II quad and get Antares Auto-Tune, Manly Voxbox and the beautiful Pure Plate Reverb all for free. You can find out more about this and the other deals that the Universal Audio team are running by visiting uaudio.com or by clicking the link in the podcast notes down
0: there. Excellent. Well, let's move across to our first talking point. It's an article I put together. Uh, last week, I believe, cool acoustic treatment solutions for your project recording studio. Now, I covered a few uh, sort, of, sort of obvious things in this. It's kind of just to inspire uh, sort of, you know, people to think about what they can do to make their home recording studio sound better on a budget without thinking they need to spend hundreds of pounds, if not thousands of pounds on uh, pre-made acoustic treatment. So instead of uh, talking about that article, instead I want to talk to you, James and Julian, and uh, let's think about our first recording spaces or studios that we've been in and thought, well, this sounds a bit naff in here. How do we make it sound better? Uh, Because I remember when I first started in my humble little bedroom, um, acoustic treatment wasn't really at the top of my uh, priority list, but it soon become... Something that I thought was quite important. Uh, and yes, let's start a conversation with this. James, think back to your first little home studio setup. What did you do for acoustic treatment? Was it important to you? Bags. Go for it. <laughs> Yo, let's, let's hear the story. Let's... Um, sleeping bags. Um,
2: I discovered fairly early on that my room, being no- of non-golden section ratios, there's a good one, Um didn't sound very nice, and I discovered very early on that if I sang behind heavy duvets and sleeping bags and things, not that I slept in a sleeping bag all the time, um, my vocal recordings sounded better, even through nasty, horrible, cheap, dynamic, um, Tandy, Stroke, Radio Shack microphone. It just sounded better, because you weren't getting all the horrible reflections off very solid surfaces. Um, So... Yeah, I, I, I think I was probably 14, 15 learning this um, with my Tascam Porta 01 four track that my parents had worked for about three months to buy me. Something like an engagement ring, isn't it? When they, is that what they say? It should be three, three months. <laughs> months. That Some. was,
1: that was De Beers decided that though.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, um, so yeah, I think I realized fairly early on. Um, what's funny is, how much affect the acoustic that you're in, and I'm talking from a drumming point of view now rather than actually from a um, other instruments or vocal point of view, Um, how much the acoustic that I'm playing in and the feedback I'm getting from the acoustic drums, either directly or from reflections or whatever, how it affects how I play. Now, it sounds, excuse my French, bleeding obvious, doesn't it, that the acoustic is going to affect all the all the nuances of how you play but I've played in rooms that are should we say acoustically accurate acoustically nice and these days in studio terms that normally means fairly dead and actually it's really hard to play drums in those rooms because you're not getting any natural natural reverb any natural ambience from the kit I actually quite like playing drums in rooms that aren't necessarily should we say acoustically perfect I like a bit of room ambience you're not gonna get that much unless you put a room mic up or you've got your overheads are ninety five feet in the air a slight exaggeration but you know where I'm going um so it's important both ways it's important to get the sound you want not don't just assume that by killing everything off that's the way forward now of course, since then I've discovered um there's more to. Acoustics than just stopping all the room reflections and killing things off. What you actually want to do is control a room in a in an organized fashion and know exactly what you're doing. But I've certainly even in this studio, in the studio in now, it's it's a self self build. So you know, I've built all the acoustic treatment and all the panels and everything like that that are in here were built by my own grubby mitts. But you you don't have to do too much reading and actually be all that DIY savvy to get some really, really good results.
0: It's common sense, really. That's my uh, approach to acoustic treatment. Just sort of use your ears, think about it, don't overdo it. Uh, Start small and add to it in time if you need a little bit more absorption. or. And if you're putting panels up, there
2: is the wonder of the mirror technique. Mm. Do you know yes, that one? Yes, yes. yes where yes. you, where you basically, you use a mirror to look at your speakers, and where the reflection is on the wall, that's where the acoustic treatment should go.
0: That, well, that, that's that's really for mixed positions sort of yes, things. Yeah, you yeah. know If you're doing tracking in the same room, you kind of got to look at other areas and work all that out. Julian, uh, I want to, I want to know about your acoustic treatment path. What was the sort of first room that you, let's say, had a hand in?
1: That I, I'm not taking. I'm not taking any responsibility for this room, but it's the first time that I became really aware of how significant the effect of the, the acoustic contribution of a room could make. And uh, it was uh, it was the first studio I'd, I'd, I worked in. Um, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. Actually, this place it was it was a like re- rehearsal studio come recording studio. If you if you know what I mean, it mm. had three rooms and. Um, yeah, local bands and musicians used to used to book it out and practice in that space. And there was the, one of the rooms was was pretty small, and it wasn't that surprising. It didn't get much traffic. But of the two rooms that were in use, uh, the the bigger room was really unpopular, and it was much bigger. I mean it was a it was a tall, tall room. I mean it must have had oh I don't know. I mean it was properly high. It must have been like eighteen foot ceiling. Um, It was, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was big enough to put on a small gig in and it was incredibly unpopular. Nobody wanted to, wanted to play in that room. Um, And this is just for practicing and everyone wanted the smaller room. And I didn't understand why, because I'd never really spent any time in there. And it was when I actually went in there and spent a bit of time in there figuring it out and what some previous people who had been in there and set it up in the first place had done, thinking it was a good idea. Was they'd got a load of cheap and light industrial cord, and they carpeted the whole thing. Like I don't, I, 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 can't remember if they'd done the ceiling. I can't think they would have done because I don't know how they'd have got to it with it being so high. But they'd done all of the walls and the floor, thinking that they were doing a good thing. And I mean, I think we, from the noise you made, Dan, you know that's not a good thing. It really isn't a good thing. And it sounded awful. I mean, it was it was muddy and congested, and and the the dimensions weren't great in that room either, which kind of made things worse. And there were some standing wave issues. But basically, it was the first room I'd been in. Went oh wow, this room sounds dreadful. And after a bit of kind of negotiation with uh, the guy who ran the place, who although he ran it, he he wasn't he didn't really know very much about these things. I convinced him to let me pull all this stuff down. And uh, yeah, he went oh no, you can't do that. It's there for the acoustics these are the same people who who put up who who'd um got some old uh army egg boxes surplus. no it wasn't <laughs> it was never did the egg boxes but um uh, had got some uh parachutes and put parachutes up for the acoustics And these were, and these, these were silk. And when silk burns, I think it makes cyanide. It's really bad anyway. It's certainly a fire risk. But the point is also, it's silk. It's, I mean, really, what's it going to do? But because there's a thing there you can see, you think, oh, it must be soaking up, soaking up all the bass. No, it's really not. But anyway, it, it, it didn't, that room was never good. The dimensions were, really were against it, but it was an awful lot better when that whole kind of tip towards when, basically, when, when it had some high frequencies too. Um, yeah, that was the first time I really became aware of it, although I I did very little in there at all. Um, probably the, um, the first, the the first kind of, uh, dalliance I had with that was I had a really cool house, uh, a few years after that, I lived in a farmhouse and I had no neighbours. My nearest neighbours were probably about half a mile away and it was a perfect place to make an awful lot of noise. And it was a bungalow, so running cables around it were easy. I used to run them over the loft, and I'd kind of, you know, got, got, got a bit of cable infrastructure in there and all sorts. My, my, my landlord was very relaxed about this kind of thing because he was a farmer. And uh, there was a point just outside the kitchen door, in this little corridor, kind of carpeted corridor in the middle of the room, where you'd got three doors. You'd got the airing cupboard to your left, kitchen door in front of you, bathroom door to the right, and then behind you. It was, the corridor was only as wide as the door. So, if you opened the airing cupboard door, it made a little cubicle. And then, if you got the contents of the airing cupboard and hung them over the doors that were all round you, and you sang f- with the with the airing cupboard behind you, carpet underneath, and everything, it was it was incredibly dry. It was a brilliant, brilliant vocal booth, and you could make it literally in two minutes. You could say, just "Do some vocals, brilliant!" Ho, 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 ho. Open the door, standing there, fantastic. It was so dry. And that was when I really started to appreciate the fact that you need some depth to absorptive material. And if you've got three foot of airing cupboard full of of blankets and linen and stuff, that's actually going to do something. Whereas, you know hanging a duvet up it does something but it doesn't do nearly as much and that was when I kind of really started to figure this stuff out it was that whole thing about having some depth to your treatment it's a luxury not all of us can can have and I've never had quite such an an easy ready-made vocal booth since but
0: yeah brilliant it's true I mean I remember going to a studio 12 years ago a guy built it in his back garden in London somewhere uh, he had an SSL desk in there, he had a few quid, he's, he's been quite successful. Um, and I remember looking from the outside, it's this very large um, structure in his back garden, brick built. And then when you walked into the main uh, control room, live room area, it felt smaller. And I thought, well, that doesn't feel right. Because then I walk back out again and go, w- why is it so much smaller? Inverse he went, TARDIS. Yeah, well, yeah, but he went, the back wall there, he said, all of that is three foot, of acoustic stuff all behind it. And it's um, like that soft wall, you know, we put the beams up and then the uh, sort of the that acoustic fabric all over it. It looked lovely. You couldn't really tell. It just looked like a really well-built wall. But you said, uh, all of that is completely filled. And the, the room sounded really nice and balanced. And the rest of the room had no acoustic treatment. So it was just that one big, uh, How I think it was about six metres wide, the studio by about uh, six metres wide. So it was about, a, it was a square in the main room, but yeah, with an, at least another two metres plus behind it, just filled with rock wall and other... I mean, you didn't tell me what you did back there, but it works from sitting in there. It sounded lovely. There's drums. Drums being recorded. The drums sounded massive. Uh, vocals sounded really nice. Just, yeah, invisible acoustics in some respects there. But he designed that in the build, which was quite smart.
2: The funny thing is that people who design rooms, I mean... Um, I, we used, to, this is going back years, one, one of my first bands back in Ipswich. Um, there was a well known, um, anyone from Suffolk will know exactly where I'm talking about, a well known research facility where a lot of people work. A great many people work for this company, and everyone in Ipswich either works for, for them or two or three other big employers. And they had a very large lecture theatre, beautifully designed, tiered seating, the works. It was, it was stunning. And for human voice, it was amazing. Rehearsing in there, there was the most amazing slapback for drums. It was like a proper ba, And yet, if you, when you spoke or sang, it was, it was beautiful in there. But when you played anything, People couldn't get why I hated rehearsing in this space because um, it had been designed for a purpose, and that purpose was speech. It was not music. Um, I've never played in an environment since then that's been so markedly different between um, between speech and music. It was bizarre. I think they've probably pulled it down now. I think a lot of that particular development was, was... 1960s concrete jungle um but um no it was very bizarre so yeah you can do damage with acoustics if you've got a good sounding room go with it you might want to tweak it a little bit but don't go in um you know all hammer and tongs and try and make a good room into an amazing room no because you can do more damage
0: you ruin it it. and i did that i wrote an article on this years ago Uh, not well not years ago Last year or year before, but years and years ago, when I first started my recording studio in a commercial place, it was this it was a sizable room. So I think it's about six meters by four and a half meters wide, which was plenty big. Um, and stupid me, I mean, I had to get in there in about a week and a half um, from, you know, saying I'm going to hire this room to like quitting my job and moving in. I ordered uh, a load of acoustic foam and I over ordered because I thought, well, if I don't buy enough, I'm going to be a bit stuffed. So I'd rather buy more. And then return it or sell it or whatnot. I didn't. I put an entire load up. Ceilings and walls were completely covered. It was dubbed the Daleks bedroom uh, by a few of my friends when they walked in. It was dry as a nut in there, but only in the mid frequencies and the highs. And it sounded okay up until the point I moved my trusted old acoustic piano that I've grown up with all my life. You know, I I know this piano. We moved that in about three years later after uh, I moved into this, this this room and I was oh my god this piano sounds shit and I you know because I know it really well and I just looked around me and thought oh my god this is what the phone's doing and I started tearing it down wall by wall and all of a sudden my piano started sounding like my piano again that's when I properly appreciated acoustics and slapped myself on the wrists so I tore it all down repainted all the walls got all the uh, no more nails crap off the wall Um, you you all know this when you put uh, foam up if you do it with no more nails you pay the price for that down the line Um, (coughs) and then got a load of uh, um, panels um, broadband absorbers in two at a time like Noah's Ark got two in put them on the wall work for a week okay are they in the right place let's get the positioning right do I need more yes okay, let's get a couple more in. And I did that for several weeks, just ordered a couple at a time until I thought this room sounds balanced. My piano still sounds like my piano. Other instruments are actually breathing better. They sound better when I'm tracking. Mixing's working for me. I'm done. I'm finished. I don't need to do any more to this room. So Julian, I'm I'm interested about the school that you worked in, the college, sorry. Um, What was the acoustics like there? Because... Um, shocking shocking <laughs> let's talk about something
1: else um no honestly appalling um but these things they're never they're never properly thought about because the people who make decisions about things like that have no interest in how how good your acoustics are so yeah i mean uh, uh architectural architectural absorption uh in this example i've seen it done well in education in the university i worked at they'd got they'd got it done properly they would got some some uh consultants in But certainly kind of like uh, the college that you're talking about. No, we're talking that kind of like inch thick um, architectural uh, absorption just just to soak up flutters for intelligibility for speech. That's all it was for. Dreadful. Absolutely shocking. And we managed to make it work and we sort of like – we we had some like homemade gobos and stuff like that and, you know. Um, But um, what I wanted to pick up on actually was uh, what you were saying about – we're talking about two slightly different things here um with the uh with acoustics because there's acoustics for a recording space and then there's acoustic for a mixing space and and they're not the same thing and what you were talking about then with the with the piano this this really reminds me of, of something I scribbled down when we were first talking and um uh playing an acoustic guitar outdoors i find that really uncomfortable i i can't do it because it's 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 dry it's just Nothing comes well back. it's the
2: very antithesis of of playing in a free field in an open field
1: it's but it's it's just kind of like it, it's really uncomfortable and you know i mean for, going back quite a few years, the idea about absorption 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 in uh, in in recording space well sorry in in control rooms was absolutely the way these things these things were done. But there was kind of a reaction against that because apart from the fact that you need really powerful monitoring, if you've got a very absorbed, um, uh, highly absorptive space, then you need powerful monitoring because there's, the sound's just coming out and all you're getting is direct, okay, but because of that, you know, you're losing everything. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, So that doesn't work. But, you know, there was a response against that and... Uh, People, I mean, talking to a, a, a acoustic consultancy type people who know more about this than than me, and I've spoken to a few of them about it. And the thing that really seems to divide people is uh, is the role of scattering, because uh, and no one says it's not important. It the where I found the difference of opinion is how important it is and how you need to get stuff, uh, how soon you need to start scattering stuff. Because I mean the. Um, all spaces need some absorption. Not every space necessarily needs scattering, and uh, this is something I found quite a few sort of differences of opinion with. Definitely, something else I want to mention actually is floors. People forget. People look at the walls. I think it's because we're kind of upright and look horizontally. But people look at the walls and they consider that. But often in conversations like this, people I've 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 come across people who overlook the uh, the floor to ceiling dimension. And particularly with the kind of, uh, with the sort of move towards, I mean, people don't necessarily want carpets. I get that. Um, A hard floor is very practical. But if you've got two hard reflective surfaces facing each other, unless you've got something built bespoke with, you know, angled walls and reflection-free zones and stuff, you can end up with a really nasty standing wave issue. And what's more, if you're recording stuff, depending on the height of your ceiling, quite often microphones are set halfway along that floor-to-ceiling dimension and you can get some real problems doing that i've had some i've had some nasty surprises doing that and you've got to think about that stuff when you're setting stuff especially if it's if it's not something that you necessarily got as much time to listen to before you commit to a record
0: yeah i'm doing a surround
1: recording of something and and it was unusable because it was exactly halfway between the floor and ceiling and it was like what's that terrible resonance i can oh i know
0: no Uh, no it can get worse i mean like the last studio i had it was you know um it was a it was a shed but it had a really low low ceiling I mean as it was as, uh, the height of the ceiling was as high as the door just as you know two meters um and one of my clients that I work with regularly he's as tall as a door he has to duck ever so slightly to get into a room so when I put the microphone up in the old studio and he's you know an inch or two pretty much from headbutting in the ceiling the microphone may as well be right up against a wall. Uh and I was like, God, his voice sounds awful in here. What am I gonna do? He's like a regular client. So I had to get some ceiling clouds up above him and it made a it did make a bit of a difference. But when I come round to designing this studio that I'm in, um number one for me was no uh, uh flat ceiling. It had a pitch already in, in the uh inside of this sheds and I thought I've got to keep that and all the builders that come around that said, uh, yeah, you know, we'll give you a quote, but we won't be able to keep that pitch, not with what you want to do with your um, room within a room thing. Uh, and the builders I chose managed to do that. And I'm so happy because I haven't got um, floors parallel to the ceiling. And I think that that actually makes the room sound quite nice. Um, James, you'll find out in a week or two when you come around and we do some piano recording. Yes. Looking forward That'll to be that. fun. We have a nice fun, uh, content to follow community. But yeah, me and James are going to have some fun in a few weeks with the
2: piano I yeah, it's funny because I actually did put some sky sort of clouds, orbers, call them what you will, actually into my into the build. Um, so, yes, although my my room my space also suffers from a, a lack of height, um, and because of how I've set up my spaces within the actual outside building, I couldn't keep the pitch because it. W- because I was building it myself, the maths just got on the angles and everything just got a bit beyond me. So I went, right, well, I might as well do what I can and then solve the problem in other ways. And that was by putting, say, these absorber um, type things up. And they're not complicated. It's, you know, it's, it's basic maths. It's not... Um, it's not serious acoustic, and I'm sure that someone's going to say, yes, it is, if you did to do it properly, yada, yada, yada. I read an awful, I suspect like you, Dan, I read more about the buildings of studios than mm. I've read about an awful lot of things in a very, very long time. Um, and I'm happy with how this room sounds. Yeah, okay, I, I've I've spent a lot of money on fixing it, as in acoustic, uh, should we call it electron electronic acoustic treatment? That's but, one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah um, but I, I'm happy with the noises that come out of this building. So hey, and, and clients are too. So what else can you say?
0: Yeah, I think that that's. I think you sort of just summed it up there. Common sense. Do the best you can. Get on with what we, you've got to do to earn money. If that is your, I, I, your I have a at.
1: suggestion for because I'm I'm think I'm wondering exactly how many kind of uh, tips or things people can use. We've necessarily come come up with in this in this section and one that i think is really worth mentioning i know this is something that you've sort of mentioned in another context before dan is um if you're like so many people are you're you're not doing it properly for whatever reason you're doing what you can in the space you have in the budget you have you know you might not be able to do anything to your walls that kind of stuff Yeah, you might not own the house and then exactly Um, lots of people don't and uh But um, something that I think is really useful is if you're using, let's say you have uh, a packing blanket. Packing blankets are really good, by the way. They're, you know, dense. You want something with some mass to it. You can make that an awful lot more useful if you leave a gap behind it. Hang it flat on the wall, it's not going to do a great deal. Hang it a few inches away from the wall, better. So if you can give a bit of space behind, if if you can double up and you can maybe kind of you know do a couple of packing blankets or duvets or whatever it might be or mix stuff up as well that's quite good so variations got, of
2: densities of yes. is definitely yes. ma- a massive yes. part of it yeah and if you can do it, this yeah, kind funny. of thing
1: but but gaps and spaces make a difference too Massively. so it's you know it's it's really really useful kind of thing to do and you you can do more than you'd more than you'd imagine the the two things that i'd say about um I, I'm sort of slightly on the outside of opinion, really, about uh, about these kind of like wrap around the mic kind of solutions, your kind of reflection filter type things. I'm not a fan. I've done some sort of like some A being, some some blind A Bing actually with uh, uh, with things like that, and I'd, I'm I'm not there with them. I have to say, um, it depends like all these things on the environment you're in, but I don't own one. Maybe I should maybe I should try again
0: but you know it's we will all, we'll all club together and get you one for christmas oh yeah well,
1: thank you You'll but like that. but the thing that um the thing that i think is important not to get kind of too drawn into is a little bit of room on something is okay if you're listening to a vocal in solo and you can hear a bit of the room that it's recorded in yeah it's not ideal but you know ultimately is it going to matter but the thing that's worse is really really inappropriate close miking people people going in way closer than than the placement than the ideal placement just to get rid of that stuff and there's a real balance to be drawn there i'm not saying don't do it yes i've heard good recordings wrecked by people going in don't record an acoustic guitar from an inch and a half away so that you can't hear any of the room because what you'll hear won't be an acoustic guitar it'll be an acoustic guitar from an inch and a half away you know what i mean it's like yeah it's it's not great so there's there's definitely a whole kind of like compromise to be reached on that stuff but close isn't necessarily good and a little bit of room is worth it compared to an inappropriately claustrophobically proximity lifted terrible recording so
2: so competitions this month Krotos audio the company behind the dehumanizer reform and weaponizer product range have announced a new improved reformer pro and we at production expert have an exclusive competition for one lucky person to win this groundbreaking software worth 399 of your earthly dollars so to enter this competition head on over to the win page but also check out the partner win section of our win page to see what our partners are offering you the chance to
0: win. Nice. Let's move across to talking point two. Name the Pro Tools bug you still experience frequently in your recording studio. Now, we know that Avid are working quite hard these days um, to fix a lot of Pro Tools bugs. May they be old, may they be new, who knows. But uh, this seems to be the trend. We're liking it, aren't we, boys, Uh, to see that Avid are uh, getting this... uh, getting through the bugs list so to speak it's a good thing it's a good thing it's a great thing but let's
2: let's not pretend that pro tools is the only software with bugs no Um, (laughs) to to cross pollinate a little bit to um this week's russ's rant for anyone any of you who read read that um no i don't think any software out there is perfect um but see as you say the avid team are working very
0: hard and very fast to To fix some of these problems. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, you only need to think back a few years and you'd have to live with a bug for months sometimes. And if you couldn't live with it, you'd roll back, wouldn't you, to to an older version. That was quite a common thing that we all used to do. Go, oh, whatever that bug was. Nope, 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 nope. Game it's going to break what I'm doing. I need to go back to an earlier version. And sometimes some people would even roll back an operating system. Jeez, you know, but these days, I don't think that a lot of us are doing that. Uh, But there are still some bugs out there. But I want us to talk about, see if we can remember a bug that all plagued us. So I wrote about uh, my bug uh, that I still experience frequently. But James, think of a bug that really wound you up uh, of your uh, in the past of your Pro Tools journey.
2: I did come across a rather antagonistic ladybird once, but I don't think that's the sort <laughs> of bug you're thinking about. Um, I have to admit... The, the one that you wrote about, which is the, the instruments, instrument tracks graying out for no apparent reason, uh, is one of the ones that, it doesn't really bother me that much these days because most of what I'm doing isn't virtual instrument based. Um, when I do, and I end up going back to a session from the other day, the other week, the other year, whatever, it does drive me insane. It's normally only ever one track in a session as well, It is, isn't bizarrely. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, you could do a whole session worth or a whole track's worth of virtual instruments and it'll only ever be one of them. Yes. Um, Usually which drums is in my case. Don't bizarre. I used to find out it was um, DB33, the Hammond patch. Ah. Bizarre. Uh, very bizarre. Um, I think one of the bugs that gets me the most, and it's again, it's not really a bug, it's more of a lack of ability to keep up with updates. And it's when you find that a rogue plugin. Is taking your system down or causing a massive slowing down or a massive CPU, a, yeah, a massive spike. CPU on. load on your system, and it's not because you've done anything; it's because you haven't kept entirely up to date. Now, um, there was not that long ago where I was a great advocate of sticking with what you've got because there's a fair chance it works still. Um, but by, of course, by not keeping up to date, you do tend to find that occasionally when you update one thing you break something else. House which can cards be a come little, down. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a little frustrating. Um, and you end up going through that whole process of cutting your plug-in list in half and, in, and bringing in half, and then if it's not that one, you halve the second, you quarter it, and then you eighth it, and, until you find, inevitably, it's always in the last batch, isn't it? Um, it's always in the last place. You look, I, I can't think of any more that really bite me on a regular basis. I, I, again, I, I think that could be because I'm not really using Pro Tools that heavily. I'm certainly not diving into automation in a big way. Um, I know there are a few bugs that people, uh, should call, issue, should we call them, that people have found with some of the more advanced automation features. Again, I could be making that up. I don't think I am. I think most of the things I've found are to do with the way that Pro Tools interrupts with, the operating system and or anything else on the outside so problems maybe with drivers or a lack of driver so i'm actually fairly happy apart from apart from that
0: one problem julian (laughs) pro tools bugs i I'm, I'm just
1: looking back through uh, through the the Facebook post and uh, trying to see if we've got. I mean, um, we I mean we asked for bugs that were repeatable and not feature requests or you know um complaints about how much Pro Tools costs and stuff. I, unfortunately, there's quite a few of those in there. <laughs> I'm trying to find anything that is actually a bona fide bug. Um, there's some that I really I mean, uh, someone was talking about some issues they're having using uh OMFs or. And stuff. and it's not not really the kind of stuff that that I do. Your first question was a bug that really that really annoys you, and I straight away I thought, oh, I know. And I thought, hang on, this is so long ago now; it's not relevant yeah, on, at all. Go on. What what you remember was it? the you remember the the yellow the yellow a air, air instruments?
2: Oh, was that. yes, that
1: yes yeah. used to drive me nuts. Yeah, but. It was mostly because it was. It, I mean, it was kind of it was awkward to fix. I could never remember how to do it either. But it was a thing that hung around for a bit too long. And in those days, I, I was installing whole labs full of full of Pro Tools and having to fix it on every single machine. It was like, oh, you know, um, if we remembered before we built the image, it would have been fine. But you forget, and yeah. Um, so that one. Um, in terms of in terms of like proper proper bugs that kind of uh, that chase me around i mean i i do i've got an outstanding issue that i just i haven't fixed and i really should but you know when you're busy and you can just maneuver around something and it's like i get it in mini grand and in structure where it's only playing the attack sample oh yes i've had that that. one i've got i've still got that and i've just been avoiding mini grand which is kind of pathetic but i just kind of like oh piano vi piano vi
2: whatever been using a lot of velvet. I'm going. Hey, I like electric pianos, but, <laughs> but uh, I've, I I've found it's, it's bizarre you say about that one. I actually was doing a demo with some software years ago, and I couldn't get anything other than the Dun! when you play yeah. back, unless I'd selected the region to play back, or you know the, the entire section to play back. If you do that and you press go, I bet it plays back. I'm going to try that. I mean, I'm talking about live input because if it's not working, then I'm kind of, uh, but
1: um, yeah, no, I need to sort sort that one out, I think. But it's one of those things about, Oh, I still haven't, I still haven't fixed that. And I'm probably hoping it's going to go away when I, when I finally get around to my next, uh, next upgrade. Cause it's easy to put these things off. But then again, it's, this is a case of kind of, I mean, I, I think I admitted to it a couple of podcasts ago. I, I'm not as on top of my computers as I should be. Um, but you know, it's uh that's that's fair enough i think lots of us aren't and as long as you can work then you know it's kind of like it's it's when it's when a bug is absolutely in your way and you cannot work around it one that i've started to get recently actually is uh that i am a little bit confused about is uh i'm getting a uh, number of io channels has changed when i'm uh sort of playback engine stuff most of my issues my persistent issues aren't about pro tools when it's running it's Hastily stuff when it's complaining and it doesn't want to l- want to launch. And there's a few things that kind of uh, that sort of get in the way. The biggest one actually is um, the uh, Protos Aggregate IO, um, which that, that, to be fair, that's just rubbish. It doesn't work. <laughs> but but um, it, it's it's uh, it's that thing. It's that thing about. I mean, it's it's almost become part of my routine sometimes. If it, if Protos is having a bad day, it's just launch, hold n, go in, change playback engine manually because it's complaining but it's not really fair just because what what we tend to do half the time when I'm running pro tools I'm running pro tools and I'm sharing a driver with another piece at least one other piece of software usually two and you can get little push and pull kind of issues happening so for example the, the one that always gets me is if I'm using an ex- uh, uh, a pro tools session as a as a as a demonstration and I, I tend to stay in 48K for that stuff. I don't do high sample rate stuff when we're also recording screen capture video. And, rec- you know, it's like, it's fine. It's going to YouTube, it's, you know. But um, uh, I, by default, I work at 48. And then if I occasionally, if I get, if I get something that's at 44.1 and that throws everything into meltdown, because I'm recording audio after something else that's running at 48, and and all, and I can get into this tailspin of. But this is this isn't a typical use case. It's kind of like not you you you're usually using a driver one one DAW and and all that kind of stuff. Although I mean it's fair enough. But yeah, my biggest issues are usually about getting Pro Tools to play nice with whatever else is running on my session when I come up. It's sort of twitchy playback engine
0: issues. There was a bug several years ago that almost um, got me off of Pro Tools. It was so bad it cost me days and days and days of work that I wasn't, I couldn't bill for, and I had several projects on the go, album projects, all VI heavy, and it was uh, that time when Pro Tools 11 came out, and I was working on Pro Tools 10 HD and struggling, um, you know, with VIs, but getting by. Uh, and then Pro Tools 11 came out and I held off for a few months. That's what I used to do, wait for the bugs to come through. And then, you know, you can make a proper proper decision if you're going to go that way. I did, got Pro Tools 11 going. Then there was something called the delay compensation bug. If you guys remember that. Oh my God, that stopped all of my projects. Uh, so people were coming in. I'm loading up in Pro Tools 11. Um, and what, oh yeah, yeah, loading up in Pro Tools 11 and all the vis were the del- the delay conversation wouldn't work so live uh, instrument tracks audio tracks weren't no- just nothing was working it just felt like pro tools fell over constantly so if i went back to pro tools 10 i couldn't load up my sessions cuz I-, I was using contact and if i remember correctly we had to update our contact to work with yes so i couldn't take a step backwards properly without that being buggy or forward and I had deadlines. I had clients jumping up and down. I had some very, you know, um, understanding of the situation. But at the end of the day, it made me look bad. And I thought I can't afford to use a piece of software that's making me look bad here. And I've got thousands of pounds worth of invoices I need to be sending out now for all this work. And I'm basically going putting everything on hold until I fix this problem. Uh, oddly enough, I think this was the first time I, am, I actually reached out to a website called Pro Tools Expert. I think it was, uh, begging Mike Thornton to help, <laughs> wrote him a very long, um, uh, support question. Like, uh, this is everything I've done. I don't quite know what to do. Um, and he posted it as an article, which I thought was quite nice. Um, yeah. And uh, we just had to wait that one out until Avid fixed the problem. I can't remember how long it was, but you know, I, I, I do remember those few weeks of just pulling my hair out going, sod this, you know. I'm not going to do this anymore with Pro Tools, but luckily it did sort itself out and, you know, move forward uh, and all of that. So, yeah, you know, bugs bugs can be a real pain sometimes. They're not. They can just be a little nuisance. Uh, sometimes we can ignore them and we can work with them. Um, you know, sometimes better the devil you know than run around and update everything and play that game. But uh, uh, the long and short of it is that Avidar uh, appear to be making um, this a priority now, which is really good news. Really good news. Okay, well, we better move on to some uh, community feedback sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices.
2: RSPE is proud to announce the new ASC Nano Attack Wall. It's a mini version of the ASC Attack Wall that takes all of the acoustic benefits of its bigger brother and shrinks it down to a size of your desktop. Get a reliable, repeatable and accurate sonic space that's extremely portable so you can take it with you when you move or work in another recording studio. Learn more at RSPE's website um, and you can find out more at the link below in the show notes. Sean LeClaire's been in touch. Hi, I was just looking
1: for a way to record the scrubbing effect in Pro Tools and figured out that I can route the signal via something like Source Nexus to any other DAW, found, finally found a use for audacity, <laughs> and uh, track the scrubbing. Um, I, I know this one, actually, because I know this from uh, demonstrating uh, the scrub tool um, to, to students. And just scratching something and going, oh, yes. And immediately people saying, can you record that? And me, I'm saying, yeah, not easily, not directly. So, yeah, nice one, Sean. Sure.
0: Let's move on to some questions from the community. Rushbear Uh Hello. Good I, work. Well I, done. I've tried. I've tried. Uh, hello. I really love your site and your YouTube channel. Uh, I'm considering buying a Mac Pro 10 core 3.0 gigahertz, 128 gigs of RAM with one terabyte. Uh, hard drive, high Sierra. If you've got any change left over, you can buy me one as well. Um, Logically, uh, I like the setup because it would seem it's a sweet spot between the 8-core and the 12-core. I do a lot of software-based instrument uh, work for film scores. 75% MIDI, 25% audio. That's why I need the CPU, but not sure if 10-core would be okay since it's not the normal setup. Or do you just recommend going to the 12 core? Uh, I'm also anticipating for the future uh, with how software will probably require lots of CPU and RAM in 2020. That's why I'm scared to go with an 8 core. Please forgive me if I don't understand what's going on here. I'm more of a musician uh, than a computer person. I would really appreciate your advice on this. Well, we're musicians first and foremost as well, but we're going to try and help you out here. James, have you got a couple of pointers?
2: Yes, um... A percentage is useful, but saying you use seventy-five percent uh, VIs when you when you have ten channels is no major issue. You know that's like seven or eight. Do that on a Mac Mini. Exactly. If you have a hundred VI channels, it's probably still not going to give you major issues when you're running things like contact or
0: the uh, air instruments. Now, well, track stuff—that's really light. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. 20 Omnispheres, however, is going to load up your system. Um, So it's kind of difficult to advise. Yes, you are probably right. Always go for most bang per buck you can afford. So if you're thinking um, 8-core, 10-core, 12-core, I'd probably be going the 12-core route just because... It's probably not that much more dough. I haven't looked, holds up hand. Um But you had, I would
0: you had a twelve core,
2: didn't you? I had, a, I had a twelve core and it was fantastic. So you can um, speak from
0: experience, because I think you had an eight core first. I, went, when you I went from you. a
2: I went from a uh, six to an eight to two sixes. Yeah, it was two sixes. Tw- twin
0: mm.
2: twin processor twelve core.
0: Um, and you're doing video as well you know, yeah. so you were using this as and a that was, but that was on a that away. was on a pimped mac
2: um trash can rather than a cheese grater but the specs were similar there are some differences thunderbolt being one of them um, and i had absolutely no problems running very very high track counts um, i think we even did the there's a video online of the uh we called it the mac pro power test session and i think we were up towards 200 um, tracks of audio and the full hundred and twenty eight inch uh, two fifty six now isn't it 256 instrument tracks um, yeah I, I I didn't have a problem. more recently I've done the the mac pro the Mac pro power test on the new iMac pro and we could not break it. I know it's a lot of money, even for the basic model. But the new iMac Pro is a stonking machine. It is a killer little machine. We'll um, dig out the link to my review of that, and also that the link to um, my uh, cheese grater upgrades, so you can see what what we achieved uh, purely on the numbers. You know, but. You haven't give, You haven't told us what you're doing. Yes, you're saying you're using 75% virtual instruments or MIDI. Um, again, if you're running 200 instruments, you, you're going to stress a machine a lot more than if you're running 12. Mm. But, I mean, those, those trash cans are seriously good machines, even though they're 2013 spec. Uh, no, that's not right, is it? Um, what year were they?
0: They were 2013. I think they were announced in... T- it was something like the end of 2013 or the end of 2012, and then they shipped not that long afterwards uh, 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 well, as uh, like soon as the i said 2013
2: year. i thought that is right isn't it 2013, yeah it's 2013, 2014 that they are blooming quick machines so i go go mega bang for your buck but I, I would not discount the new imac pro it's a serious machine
0: two things first of all about the mac pro uh, trash can as we call it uh, my dad uses these he works in a big old print house um so they all have them on their desks because they're all working in photoshop and all adobe products and whatnot and he says you know i said to him well should i get one Uh, i know a few people that have them he goes dan they're so unreliable they just go bang they just blow up all the time you go really What did that happen with the old cheese graters he goes no never did but these ones they uh they seem to expire quite quickly so i'm just putting that out there uh from uh, a trusted source of mine. Second, uh, little thing here that uh, is raising a bit of concern. Uh, he's looking forward to 2020. Uh, he said that he's scared about uh, or anticipating for the future with how software will probably require lots more CPU and RAM. Sure, I mean that that happens in time, but the software that you're using now, in terms of virtual instruments, so let's say using contact on the Sphere. Uh, Tune Track stuff, UVI stuff, uh, East, West Spitfire Audio, they're not just going to you know, double the requirements in two years. That stuff's still going to be the same. Do you know what I mean? Contact that I've used for the last, I've oh, lost count of how many years, I don't feel that that, that needs more juice from I me. I think it's they're on. actually
2: probably using less. I think I think they're they're using less. getting yeah.
0: better and everything's getting more efficient. That's, that's, that's the thing. I think software's getting more efficient. I think there was a point where it was getting more uh, thirsty. Um, I think there was a version of Isotope uh, Ozone a few years back. I think it was six or five. And I thought this just doesn't work on my machine. It's getting too thirsty, and that's the machine I'm using now. Now I'm using Ozone Eight, and it's really lean. It's no problem. It works perfectly in massive sessions. So I think software is actually getting better in that in that um, respect. So I wouldn't worry about feeling like you have to put your hand in your pocket because software is getting more uh, greedy. I think that's not exactly completely true. I'm sure there's some softwares that will come out down the line that you might want that will demands uh, a powerful machine. But the stuff that you're using now, I think will be if, uh, the same in a couple of years or moving forward, if not more leaner on your system. What do you think, Julian? You've been quite quiet.
1: Yeah, I haven't got a great deal to add. I mean, the, the only thing I'd really say is, I mean, uh, all virtual instruments aren't the same. Uh, some things uh have a heavy CPU load. Some things need a lot of RAM. Some things need both. But um if you're if you're running if you're sample heavy then uh, then uh, I think you'll you'll need to favour kind of RAM. Uh if you're if you um lots of uh I mean, there's got to be an awful lot of synthesis going on to, to strain a, um, a, a modern processor that much, I would have thought. But, you know, if you're, if you're running a lot of it, then absolutely, I'm sure you can do that. But, yeah, just think about exactly what it is you're doing with it because VI could cover a multitude of sins. Juma Malunga's been in touch. Dear Pro Tools expert, I hope you're doing marvellously well. And thank you very much. We are. I'm currently studying sound engineering and design, and I'm in my final year writing a dissertation. I was wondering if you could help me answer a few of the questions. Um. Analog versus digital saturation in gain staging. Which one do you prefer and why? Would you rather apply saturation in gain staging or the mixing stage? Do you overdrive mic preamp during gain staging? When overdriving the gain on a console or preamp, is there any instruments you would not recommend with this technique? What's your favourite analogue mic preamp and digital preamp and why? And when tracking, which meter do you advise to use? Um... First question: Are you asking us to write your dissertation for you? I do hope not. Uh, that's <laughs> not, not like in that. the spirit of academic endeavour. Um, yes, yeah. <sighs> and,
2: and, also, and also, when we put something along the lines of "Hello, it's James here from Protocols Expert," do make sure you don't copy it verbatim, <laughs> it yeah. could be a giveaway.
1: I, might, I mean, might, this is something that I that I I think. Um, Game staging, yes. Um, I was you remember last week we had we had that Bob Katz write in and I said that, that, that they're Bob Katz. That Bob Katz, yeah. And um, uh, I said that I'd been reading his book that afternoon. I wasn't just just making that up. I genuinely had been. And uh, if you haven't read Mastering Audio by Bob Katz, do you, should, have, you should it's have. a good book that's that isn't isn't full of the same old stuff that everyone says. He's he's a very clever man who knows what he's talking about. And I was reading, amongst other things, the chapter on on gain staging, and it was so nice to see that stuff. And go, now this is gain staging. This is proper gain staging, and basically, it's it's just there's not a great deal of it. There is some of it in digital systems, but really, you know, it's gain staging. Proper gain staging is is an analog process, and as soon as things go digital, then suddenly it, everything's a, everything's quite a bit more relaxed. So yeah, okay. I mean, in terms of gain staging into my system, I've 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 got a 1073. I, I can attenuate it. I can drive it hard and pull it back so that you know that's a gain stage. But once it goes, once it goes through the uh, through the converter, basically, there's no more gain staging to worry about.
0: Apart oh, right, from I just don't to have make my sure monitors you turned
1: all the way up. Actually, this is a good point. I don't have my monitors, my active monitors turned all the way up. I pull them back so that I'm not. On a kind of like a super sensitive monitor control, but that's it. That's your lot. Whereas if you compare that to gain staging a big load of analog equipment together and getting it to to play Hello. nice <laughs> with yeah yeah, yeah yeah with adequate headroom and keeping signal to noise ratios under control and all of that stuff and some stuff's minus uh, ten dB dBV and some's plus plus. 4 dbu and it's not even comparing the same things cuz there's not 14 db between those there's 11 so you know what i mean it's like there's quite a bit to talk about there but in terms of in terms of uh digital stuff analog versus digital saturation in gain staging
2: well i'm not um, i'm not, a, I'm not aware know, of I there mean, being such thing as
1: digital saturation he means plug-in saturation he means he does. simulated uh modeled analog saturation I mean, but yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky subject because yeah there's there's not as much there once we get into software as as, as you might hope first thing i'd say is do you, do you understand fixed versus floating point and what happens inside a uh, a console when i mean inside a digital audio workstation and uh, do you understand uh do you understand what happens in analog Hopefully so, if you're in your third year. And uh, and you if you understand those things, then hopefully you can also see how they're wildly, wildly different universes. Um, and I'm a little confused by the questions, actually. I'm not saying they're not good questions. I'm just saying I, I haven't quite got
2: it. But, uh, yeah. Um, the only thing I would say is there's an awful lot there about overdriving. Now, generally, I don't want to overdrive anything. I want to keep well within, you know, well within, what's the Star Trek terminology? Um, oper- acceptable operational parameters. Yes, you can dial a tone in by hitting a, a preamp hard. But actually, these days, that's not how records sound. They generally sound a bit cleaner. Um Again, stop me if I'm wrong at any point. Please do, chaps. Um, I I don't... I won't print distor- a distorted vocal, for example. I won't print a highly um, uh, overdriven, for lack of a better word, vocal. I want to get everything nice and clean to tape. So then, as you talk about later, uh, applying different saturation plugins, be they tape-based or or virtual tape-based or actual tape-based. Um, yeah, I, I would almost say, Juma, get back to us with actual questions for us, rather than just listing off a load of stuff that's on your, your dissertation paper. Because, um, say, Julian has worked in education, I've sort of dabbled a little bit and we all have friends who still do and I, I do feel a little bit like um what was it they say to steal from one source is plagiarism but to steal from many is research i don't we,
0: think we quite
2: count no, as you many can't,
0: you can't quote us on on a dissertation in your footnotes as Protools expert podcast we're not that we're can't. not that
1: kind of publication it's uh, <laughs> So I think where we're coming from really Jimmy is um uh you want to know about uh, our approaches to using a microphone preamp and uh a lot of that seems to be about getting a sound from it seems to be about pushing up against the top and clipping it um to get to get some kind of character from it um I'd I considering the decades of design that have gone into people trying to avoid that happening and trying to pass on um, uh, the input to the output as accurately as possible. That's kind of like you. It, that's really where we want to be starting from. And yes, some people have abused it in the past, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's it's very good, but it's not the point of a mic preamp. and A mic preamp is not a distortion device.
0: <laughs> At least that's not its primary. No, I, but I want to actually point this out between James me and. Uh, The Pro Tools expert team, production expert team, we have actually had the chance to play with a fair few preamps aren't with james um and in our in our yes. reviews it's, it's not it's not uncommon for us to obviously test these things and try and dial in some sounds and when we do that we're actually showing people our tastes um personal tasting let's say I'm, i've got a tegla um uh, preamp here and i'm gonna go right i'm gonna show you how to use this really quickly and i'm gonna dial in a tone i like oh i quite like that that's got some saturation there gives you an idea of what different preamps do how they sound so probably best to head on over and watch these videos we'll put a link in there in the show notes so then you can actually watch us play with preamps and you might learn a few uh, nuggets of information that way that might be useful and to- certainly
2: preamps doesn't just stretch to the actual hardware version there are so many um software preamps now that either are part of the universal audio uad2 platform in sort of unison format or, um, well, there are, there are loads of plugins that are designed to emulate the front end of a vintage console, for example. Um, and that's when you can experiment with dialing in the tone of those vintage pieces.
0: Yeah, I- get the demo. Have a- you can play with this stuff in an afternoon. Don't cost you a penny. You can play around it, give you an idea of what the hardware does. But certainly these days, I.
2: As Julian and Dan both say, I, I don't think we're looking to commit, and I know we use that word a lot. I, I don't think we're looking to commit, let's let's refer to it as undesirable distortion to, to, to tape or to disc these days. Whereas before, that was the sounds they had and that was what they did.
0: The Pro Tools Expert podcast is created using Source Connect now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. Uh, And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes.
2: Can I do it? Can I, please? Can I? Can I? Please, can do I? Do it. It's time for... Find of the Week! You Jam
1: Instruments plugins are your studio companions. Always on call when you want
2: to ride, play, and record tracks. Take seat in the producer's chair and tell your player what you need. This means... A maximum of musical and sonic
1: integrity and versatility and a minimum of your precious energy required to get there. Discover our virtual instruments at ujam.com.
0: Right, I'm going to go for you first, James. What's your final of the week? Uh, Can I have two? Because they're kind of related. Make your deal. You can have two, but I've got three.
2: Okay, go on then. Um, these are the two new ribbon microphones from our friends at Sontronics, the Sigma 2 and the Delta 2. First saw these, uh, we we saw the beta models at Muse, at NAM, uh, back in January, and I now have the real thing. And I'm a big fan of Sontronics mics, holds my hand up. I'm a big fan of their ribbons, the original Sigma and the original Delta, and these just, take it up a serious notch they sound awesome review to follow as always uh but yeah they sound absolutely amazing are you gonna bring
0: them around in a few weeks might be tempted go on
2: (laughs) go on. that'd be fun (laughs) definitely all right just for you dan or should i call you adam uh what's your (laughs) find of the week
0: uh last week uh went out for A delightful evening with uh, someone from the... sounds like beer to me. (laughs) (laughs) Beer was involved. A delightful evening um, with someone from the Adam Audio team who just happens to live, you know, a mile or so away from me. So we decided we should meet up and have a beer or two. Uh, That turned into a few more beers. And then he turned up at my doorstep the next day with lots of boxes. Um, Within them was a set of Adam's new uh, SV2 S-series... monitors. Uh, James, we heard these at the event last year. We did. These are the ones that I liked. Um, And two uh, T-Series Adams, the new low-cost affordable uh, monitors. Okay. All right. Let's listen to these. And I had quite a lot planned for Friday, had a lot of work on (laughs) it. I got nothing done. So, if you were following our Facebook uh, page on on Friday on Pro Tools Expert, you would have seen a picture of the Tower of Adams, including my, my sub and my old P22As. It was a bit ridiculous down here. I spent the day listening to these things. I think eight hours I was going between these monitors and. Oh, they're absolutely brilliant. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I you know, my P twenty two A's I've written about a lot on Pro Tools Expert. These are old faithful friends of mine, uh, and I've never really been interested in switching them out for anything. But these Adams, but, <laughs> but these Adams, yeah, uh, they're they're so oh, they're just beautiful sounding, really nice, really deep, huge spe- uh, sweet spot. All of those words. um, But, you know, come on, the the SV2s, the S-Series, they are the flagship. Of course, they're going to sound good. I was impressed with them at the event at Dean Street last year. But the T-Series, the 7-inch versions of those 7-inch woofers, those, they're £350 for a set. What the... That's not bad going. £3,500 gets you the 7-inch SV2s, the S-Series ones, for 10 times the price. So you know, I was testing between them to to hear the differences, and there really wasn't a lot in it. That I'm absolutely amazed at. They've got the same UART ribbon tweeter in the T series as they have the S series. Just don't let it forget. Don't let me forget. It's 350 quid for the seven inch ones. I think 250 for the five inch. But like, what the hell? I would you know. 15 years ago, when I got into this, and I bought my first set of budget. Uh, monitors, all I could find were the tannoy reveals, the blue ones, which sounded naff. I wish these Adams existed back then. Blimey. So, yeah. We didn't um, think they sounded naff back then. N- uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but we knew there was better, but a hell of a price difference. um So, yeah, I, I'm really impressed with these. Review to follow uh, on all sets of these uh monitors. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try and get a few more of these in to listen to. Over the next few months or so. I don't think so. you get the really big ones into your studio, though. I don't think I could lift them. <laughs> <laughs> They'd blow the walls off this place. They're, they're too big. Too big. Julian, what's your find of the week?
1: Uh, quite a simple one, really. Uh, it's the SPL DS plugin, Plugin Alliance. Um, I was playing with it. I hate DSing. I mean, I really hate it. <laughs> and um, uh, it's it, apparently, it works in a different way. To, it's not a compression based uh, process, it, it works through phase cancellation all i know is it's single knob you turn it up and it's it's just spot on i've my current favorite uh DSer, which I, I won't name here because it's not really fair i um, may have been sort of pushed pushed to the back of the queue because uh this
0: is just yeah simple get on with it i love it it's great interesting cool Wow. Well, uh on that i'd say it's uh, time to close up for the evening uh thank you so much for listening it's a good night from me it's good night from me and it's good night from me good
1: night